case file number 2.7, ransoming a pipeline, observed by Agent Crenshaw. Subject 1, alias Hackalope. Subject has a history of working in computer security for over 20 years. He has been observed to several Fortune 500 companies and federal agencies during that period. He has been amassing historical information related to espionage and covert action as well as corporate malfeasance. Subject 2, alias Emir. Subject has a history of working in computer security for the last 10 years. He has been observed at NASA facilities regularly. We've also tracked him to the gym where he seems to be bodybuilding. We are amassing evidence to charge him with felony for skipping leg day and curls on the squat rack. Subjects are suspected of having information related to hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subject of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. What is probably the worst thing to put gas in? Like, just automotive fuel? Uh, a wee whacker? I, I was going to say a Ford or a Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Ford and Chevy owners. <laughs> um, also, plastic bags. I don't know if you've, if you've seen a lot of the news of uh, people with yes. the, the current gas shortage over on the East Coast filling. Doesn't gas dissolve it, it, that kind it of plastic? It also lights your like, <laughs> one, one guy's car burst into flames because, like, I think he was also just smoking in his car that was filled with plastic bags full of gasoline. Well, I mean, gasoline is flammable. Gasoline vapor will spontaneously combust. So let me, uh, <laughs> let me yeah, ask yeah. you a question. It's like also like very corrosive stuff. Like do do not store in, in shopping bags. Yeah, it turns out hydrocarbons are good at dissolving other hydrocarbons. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember seeing some some new stuff on that. That was really scary what people were doing. And I was like, how long do you think the shortage is gonna go and how are you yeah. planning on making this I, I think like some people were expecting this to be like the was it the carter administration where like they had the, the big run on gas yes it was carter administration the, the the famous gas lines if you have your an even number plate yeah i i saw i saw that news and i was like like we're america we love our gas like there's, there's no way it's gonna be like a shortage for that long hell if, if we're short a gas for a month we'll just go invade some country and get more it was one pipeline. It was one delivery mechanism. Uh, it was pretty crazy how, how how strongly people reacted. In fact, I'm outside the zone where it should have happened, and people were still lining up at gas stations. And oh, really? Yeah. Um, my <laughs> my wife was uh, driving one state north of us, and on the way, many of the gas stations she stopped at didn't have any gas. Oh, damn. Yeah. So you know. Um, as you said, the, the pipeline there, uh, Colonial Pipeline is the, the name of the, uh, the organization. And the reason why there was a, such a gas shortage is because uh, they got hacked by a group called Darkseid. Um, not the supervillain from the um, uh, Superman series. Not Dark Wave, like the club. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Dark Wave is awesome. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> tangent, tangent from Darkseid, by the way. If uh, you haven't seen the DC uh, animated series Harley Quinn on HBO, it's really it's it's amazing like it, it's hilarious and it's like it's very like over the top violence and like profanity and stuff like that and it's it's a breath of fresh air for like dc comic stuff like no no more sullen Zack snyder crap yeah screw that um like it's comic books it's supposed to be crazy yeah yeah exactly but so today i'm gonna be talking about uh the colonial pipeline and also kind of just diverging into um some other infrastructure attacks. Mm -hmm. Like I said, uh, Darkseid was the name of the group. Um, it's a Russian group uh, that utilizes ransomware. 
it was just looking for uh, big targets for a payout. It's hit like a, a few, well, not a few, like a good, a good chunk of uh, people in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, Colonial kind of came into the crosshairs and uh, they set their sights on them. Uh, one security evaluator <laughs> asserted that Colonial Pipeline uh, likely did not have the awareness needed to protect themselves. Shocking, you know, poor cybersecurity. Yeah. So I know that I read a couple of articles on this. Was the organization specifically targeting them, or there? I thought that there was some talk of a malware or as a service, a, a ransomware as a service thing about this. Um, it didn't really get into. It. Also, I haven't been able to find like information on the attack vector they used. I don't know if they've released that information yet. Mm-hmm. I did see one article that I couldn't verify where it was, you know, your typical like some CEO clicked on a link that promised like porn or something like that and got infected, and then it just you know breached from the the corporate network to the the production network and just you know ran them up because of course it got past all email sanitization it got past oh gosh yeah i really should probably send them a letter saying hey um i have a consulting company ready to go they can fix all your problems for the low low price of several million dollars i'm almost like like we should just run like porn servers in corporate networks so that like frisky employees you can just be like we have we have porn like for you you can get it here like you you don't click on links for porn like we we offer our own porn service like free of charge it's it's an employee benefit that's an awesome plan it's (laughs) Absolutely safe porn. Yeah. We can even host it on your network. It's like we we we, we like corporate purchased uh, with the corporate card. We purchased a gold uh, membership to Pornhub or whatever, and like like you're good to go. Please don't click on anything else. You're not thinking big enough. You don't do this inside your company. We're going to start a software as a service cloud company, and we're going to sell this service to other companies. <laughs> I like it. Thinking like that, you'll never make it in Silicon Valley. <laughs> So slight tension from this. Um, have you ever heard of Shamoon? Yeah, yeah, that was the virus that got um, the Saudi Aramco. Yep, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also known as uh, W32 Distrack. It also got uh, Qatar's uh, Raskas. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Were they were they targeting petroleum companies, or did they just happen to nail? Yeah, yeah. So supposedly this was um, Iran hitting uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember. Did you talk about Shamoon in your ransomware episode? No, no, I didn't. Actually, I w- uh, turns out that that right before Shamoon got hit, I was actually talking to a guy at Black Hat who was sitting beside me in a talk, and I saw the 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 whole. I saw the articles about that afterwards, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that dude had a bad day." Oh no! But I never, I never really got too much into the attack side. I, the things that I did read about it was that. To recover, they basically replaced all of the hard drives, and they had yep. they had their own air fleet go in, go over, and pick up pallets and pallets of hard drives, um, and flew flew them back to Saudi Arabia, and they they caused an impact the in the total drive production uh, for that quarter. <laughs> oh, wow. Prices of hard drives went up around that time because they took taken so much of the production that's amazing because yeah they um you know like it, it was just a worm that uh, traversed their network and all it did was it compiled a list of files from specific locations on the system and then erased those files and then finally overwrote the uh, master boot record um and just nuked the entire system awesome the the group that they the claimed responsibility was called cutting sword of justice and they, they claim responsibility for 30,000 uh, Saudi Aramco workstations. Um, yeah, and the company like took like an entire week or more to actually restore services. 
the virus itself uh, was designed to just overwrite the, the hard drive data with uh, corrupted image and it also had a logic bomb in it that was set to go off and wipe the master boot record at 11.08 local time on Wednesday, August 15th. And so this was time during the month of Ramadan. Um, so the staff would be uh, would have left for the holiday and no one would be able to actually like actively detect it. This might be something to, to, to chase down, but I know that that one thing that that has been talked about in my entire career is, you know, we can't ha not have coverage during like New Year's or Christmas because that's when they're going to strike when you're when your guard is down. So yeah, yeah, exactly. The idea of of striking during religious services or, or major religious holidays, mm -hmm. I should say, or national holidays, uh, has been around for a while. So it's not a big shock that that, that somebody employed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The uh, the virus here had uh, three components: a dropper, wiper, and reporter. The dropper was the source of the infection. It created a service with the name NTSRV uh, that enabled it to remain persistent on that system. And it was built in 32 and 64-bit versions. So if it detected your OS was 64, it would actually pull in the 64-bit version and infect the system with that. What year was this? This was uh, 2012, I believe. Okay, so this was around the transition time between six. So you had both 32 and 64-bit mm -hmm. systems available at the time. Yeah, yeah. But that sounds like it would be a fairly modern enhancement at the time. Maybe not the first time somebody did it, but but not something that everybody did. Just to have two different versions of the bytecode. Yeah, exactly. The dropper dropped the wiper portion of this uh, virus and the reporter onto the infected system and uh, executed its all those uh, itself. And it just copied itself by network shares, like anything you could find, it just moved. So the wiper utilized uh, an LDOS-produced driver known as raw disk to achieve direct user mode access to the hard drive uh, without using any Windows APIs. Oh, cool. So, so it came in as a driver. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool that it didn't pull. Uh, yeah, I think drivers operate at ring one, so it bypasses the entire Windows security system. Yep. It identified the location of all the files on the infected computers and then just nuked them all. Um, that information about the files was sent to the attackers, and then it just overwrite or overwrote the erased files with just corrupted data. Yeah, which goes back to some of the stuff that we talked about in the first ransomware episode, where when they uh, when they encrypted a file into a new file and left the old file and just deleted it, mm -hmm. um, because it wasn't overwritten, people could undelete it by rewriting the file the way that they did. They actually trashed it. Yeah. And uh, some of the corrupted data they used to overwrite this um, in 2012 uh, during the attack, they used portions of an image and uh, that was uh, a picture of the US flag burning. And then in 2016, uh, when they struck again, they used the image of the body of uh, Alan Kurdi. He was a Syrian refugee who drowned with his mother when they were trying to flee to Europe. So yeah, uh, nearly a decade after, you know, uh, Shamoon and everything, was attacked by Iran and uh, you know, there were tons of other uh, disruptions, breaches, all this crap going on with like these infrastructure systems and whatnot. Um, I'll get to more of them later on in the episode. But wouldn't you know it, uh, Colonial was uh, just starting to build out their cybersecurity uh, according to a little snippet from their CIO, uh, Marie Mache. Just in time to shut the barn door. Yeah, yeah. She, she stated in her bio uh, that she was building a security and governance team to address security risks at Colonial. Ten years later, um, after all these things happened, and like they're like, oh, I guess we should probably address security. Like, I've been on some incident, big incident response stuff, and I've been at places that really tacitly made the decision, hey, 
what are the chances that somebody gets us? How much is it likely to cost? How much is the is the yearly cost of cybersecurity? Mm-hmm. It's easy to do nothing, and this is the risk we're actually taking. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a bad bet, especially as frequency increases, but that doesn't mean that people don't do it. Oh, no. I mean, I... I was like, I'm not going to name names, but I've been on missions where like the people that were in charge were like, hey, I just want to see when it comes to the audit. Like, just like we need to pass and that's it. Don't go overboard. Don't like do extra stuff. Just if we pass, awesome. We keep our like, you know, ability to operate and that's it. And I was like, that's like a really shitty outlook on this. Like you should be like trying to, you know, do better, be better in some way. But it's just that like, yeah, it's um, it's the money thing. Like, they just want to cut corners and save as much money as possible. And cybersecurity is a huge cost to an organization, but it's also like something you can't really cut the corners on. Well, the thing is that it's risk management. It only costs a lot until you look at how many man hours are lost when you have a major incident. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as being like a sysadmin. Like, all the sysadmins know that like when everything's up and running perfectly, the you know the managers are always questioning why you're even there, why they pay you, and then the moment everything breaks, now they're questioning why they pay you because everything's broken. You can't win. We could have this argument a lot. In fact, we may see you at some point get some guests and talk about this. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah. On with the story. So yeah, like we said, a bunch of people see the risk of being hacked as unlikely, and that was the case in Colonial. Uh, they didn't want to shell the funds towards it and hurt the bottom line. They were saving a bunch of money because they started automating a lot of the workforce, uh, replacing a lot of the technicians with technology, uh, automating a lot of um, the computer systems and doing all that stuff. And all these savings, they just pocketed. Well, they didn't turn around and use it in any way to say like, hey, since we're kind of hooking everything to a computer network, maybe yeah. we should invest in some kind of security for that. Yeah, they did. They they just got functionality. They didn't try and manage any risk to what they had created. It's just yet another example of a company kind of doing the bare minimum. And then when something goes wrong, society kind of as a whole pays for the negligence. Yeah. The word you're looking for, one of my favorite words from economics is externality, uh, which is the price that folks outside of a transaction pay for a transaction. So that pipeline thing is an externality. It's not something that Colonial will be able to pay for the entirety of. It is a cost borne by all of society. Yeah, and I mean, chances are in the coming months and years when they investigate this, a few people are going to get fried and they will just continue going on, you know, as as before. Although we, we have some changes that I'll get to uh, that were spurred by this event. So, you know, it's it's been, God, how many years since 9-11? And we, we know, you know, these key infrastructure. 20. Yeah. 20 years since 9-11. These, these, you know, it, we knew back then, and we know even more now, all these key infrastructure points are major targets you know, for outside threats. And yet- People are still talking about the smart grid and mm-hmm. the fact that a lot of power delivery, just electricity delivery in America is still running on technology from the 50s. And for water treatment, in some places, famously, it's running on, on technology from a century ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's crazy. Like, but- yeah, like not much is being done. We're we're doing a lot to protect the physical security of these places. We we saw what happened with the planes, and we we're like, oh, okay, physical security. Like they're, they're going to come at us this way, and that's why. Like, yeah, when the colonial I mean, got hacked, they were like, oh crap, we never expected just a random like yeah. group of like you know um, cyber criminals to hit us. 
Yeah. If you go to DC, the easiest thing to spot as a remnant from um, 9-11 is all of the giant concrete planters around every federal building. Yep. So uh, Colonial did end up paying the ransom of uh, $4.4 million because the executives were unsure how badly the attack had actually breached their systems and how long it would take to recover that. So they just kind of, they shelled up the money and, you know, the, the FBI and other organizations say not to do that, but usually, you know, companies like this will end up paying just to like try to get that data back. And they, they were given a decryption tool um, after they, pay, they paid, but it was cited as having been of quote unquote, some use. It wasn't enough to immediately restore all their systems. The, the articles I read didn't go into like more of that of like why did they use it wrong or like, well, the fact that they didn't know how long it was going to take for them to recover, that they didn't have a, an F an estimate on that mm. probably says that this was well, this just overloaded whatever sysadmin staff they had. And I'm not making any comment to the quality of those folks. And we just know that they didn't put any eff enough effort into security. Yeah, yeah. But the fact is like this kind of problem overwhelmed their capacity to respond. Yeah. Like I highly doubt there was even a sock or anything. Yeah. no, People talk about paper security being a problem. It, it, it's not sexy to do vulnerability management. It's not sexy to run a web filter. It's not sexy to, to even just pay one of the myriad services out there for email filtering. You know, it puts roadblocks into, into people. You can't send certain kinds of files and stuff like that. But that, those things have a really high return on, on your risk investment. Yeah. Um, restricting administrative privilege has a really high return on your on your risk investment. If your users don't have the ability to install a driver, then that driver tool doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Yep. When you say they didn't make an investment, if they didn't have a sock, that almost doesn't matter because they didn't have a lot of the less flashy controls in place that would have control that would have probably mitigated a lot of their problems. It wasn't a matter necessarily of monitoring. It was a matter of a lot of the simple preventative controls. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say this because we don't know all the details, but in a lot of cases that we see these things, a lot of the you know turnkey preventative controls that aren't sexy, that don't get all of the guys and gals that go to Black Hat going, ooh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They can stop these things from happening a lot of cases, you you raising the sophistication level of the attacker, and we don't know what the level of sophistication of this is without some more technical data. Mm, yeah, yeah. But given what we know so far, it's something to be concerned about. Mm, you you do the bare minimum because you don't want to be the low hanging fruit. Like we at NASA, constantly getting hit by China and mm -hmm. Russia and like scans and stuff like that. And like we will have managers like talk about like, oh my god, they're like they're trying to hack us like constantly like. Like you don't even understand. It's like no, they're just the probing. Like they're yeah. they're saying if like we didn't do the, the very basic things, and if we didn't, then they're gonna get a foothold because yeah. One of the directors, of the I think it was one of it was from an FBI. I think it was during the Trump administration. It was one of the one of the higher uh, higher ups. But he did say it's not that China was, and I'm paraphrasing. It's not that China is a particularly sophisticated set of attackers. It's that they are like bad burglars. They are rattling on every door and window. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
And, and it should be said that we've seen both things from China. We've seen both the rattle every door and windows technique, and we've seen more target, uh, a lot more targeted stuff. We've seen supply chain stuff that has occurred. Yes. So, so you can't just say it comes from one source. It's definitely a less sophisticated attack. But you see a lot more less sophisticated attacks because they take a lot less effort and mm -hmm. the number of folks that can pull off the sophisticated attacks yeah. isn't huge. Sometimes they, they pay off. They do pay off. Uh, in fact, one of the things I we can say a lot about Russia is that they take a lot of low probability, low cost attacks. And when they get something, they make the most of it. Yeah. Like to me, it's, it's equivalent of, you know, like having very good investments, but then also just buying some scratch off tickets because who knows? Yeah. Although, you know, Bitcoin. <laughs> So on Friday the 14th, uh, the DarkSide group said it had lost access to its infrastructure, 2021 in May, and uh, it was shutting down, though it was unclear if law enforcement had actually done anything to them or if they were just kind of seeking to kind of like fade away from media spotlight, just regroup and uh, you know, reorganize. On top of that, the DHS um, is now moving to regulate cybersecurity in the pipeline industry for the first time. Uh, in an effort to stop this from happening again. The Transportation Security Administration will be issuing a directive requiring pipeline communities, pipeline companies rather, to report cyber incidents to federal authorities. Uh, we'll follow up with a more robust set of mandatory rules for how pipeline companies must safeguard their systems against cyber attacks and the steps to take it if hacked. Um, that's supposed to like follow on in the coming months. In the past, the agencies only offered voluntary guidelines to all this stuff. Yeah, I just check me on this, but I thought that there were some mandatory reporting guidelines already in place. So there, there are um, mandatory standards, but that's mostly for electric and nuclear. Mm. The article said like it doesn't apply for a lot of uh, healthcare, wastewater systems, and like like dams and like other stuff like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was a surprise to me because I was like, really, like we don't have a, a sweeping standard yet. We have a standard, like a sweeping standard for healthcare informed the HIPAA, but we don't have a sweeping standard like in the cybersecurity portion of it. Yeah. And there's cybersecurity controls that a lot of folks assume are implied mm. by HIPAA and the use of, of medical data. But the idea of defense of critical infrastructure, this is a difficulty in the way that America does them because there was a lot of countries in the world where these are nationalized industries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, America's kind of unique in not just the fact that it's private, but there's so many different companies that are that are part of those infrastructures. Yeah, and they're all sharing data. And like Company A might have a an amazing cybersecurity defense, but they're sharing data with companies B and C who are doing the bare minimum and in, in meeting the, the the audit guidelines and everything like that, but aren't doing anything else. Yeah. Well, it's worth also saying. I mean, this doesn't have to do with ransomware, but it's a similar kind of thing where the way that Target got nailed was through their HVAC system. Mm. It's not just your business partners in your industry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So a curious little tidbit to this was that uh, January 11th of 2021, an antivirus company actually came out in the news named uh, Bitdefender and said it was happy to announce a breakthrough. It had found a flaw in ransomware used by DarkSide. Cool. And so they announced this to the public, much to the chagrin of these two other researchers by the names of Fabian Wosar and Michael 
Gillespie. Because they, they had noticed uh, this flaw uh, a month before and had begun discreetly look for victims to, to help and uh, you know get their data back. So by publicizing this tool, Bitdefender had basically alerted Darkseid like, to the issue, uh, which involved reusing the same digital keys to lock and unlock multiple victims. And because of this, Darkseid immediately uh, repaired this problem in their software and stated, uh, thank you basically for... Uh, Helping us, Bitdefender, we fixed all of our issues. New companies have nothing to hope for. Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about reuse of keys as one of the flaws that we'd seen o over and over and, mm -hmm. you know, poor cryptographic implementation. But it occurs to me uh, when you talked about them being provided a not great decryption tool, you're using a decryption tool that came from the folks that hacked you. Mm, yeah. And we know from CryptoLocker that they're not oh, we got you once, we got your money, we're going to let you go now. Mm -hmm. Because CryptoLocker left the agent, the botnet agent, resident on your system for future exploitation. Yeah. They, they are criminals. Like they're, right. You know, they're... What if somebody actually distributes a malicious decryption agent? Mm -hmm. It's interesting because, like, you know, causing the question of, like, announcing a lot of this stuff, you know, the moment you figure out, like, like, Oh crap! Like this ransomware can be broken in X, Y, and Z way, or like we figured out this 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 thing. If you're doing it in the background, your enemy doesn't know it has flaws in its software or its its method. And when you announce that to the public, they immediately know and can address those issues. It is a bit of a double-edged sword mm -hmm. because if you don't publicize that that's done, it's really hard to uh, go and help the victims. Exactly. Like yeah, you won't get many victims coming out for help because they don't know to but yeah we absolutely saw that with uh with i believe it was the it was crypto locker might have been one of the petia ones um part of it was that they had to find victims to help out with their decryption tool once they had it mm -hmm. you have to actually go back to the episode uh of, of uh ransomware too right right so that's that's all the information i could find on the colonial pipeline um currently i'm sure there's going to be more information coming out in the next month or so and I would not be surprised if there's a congressional hearing um, at some point over this entire thing. But in that, I was like, all right, like, let me look into like some other um, infrastructure attacks and like, you know, uh, things that have gone on. I don't know if you remember this um, back in 2006, uh, the two engineers that um, hacked the traffic controls in California in LA. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, uh, they, they hacked, uh, the tra traffic signs because the because the signs themselves didn't have, really have any security on them. Yeah, 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 and it was also part of a labor dispute, so they were on strike. And uh, yeah, they they set the timing on like major intersections, uh, their stoplights to basically just run forever and just like backed up, like just bog traffic down in LA, which is already bogged down to begin with. They do some great traffic control there, but one little flaw just backs everything up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. There was also a small dam in New York um, that was accessed by Iranian hackers in uh, 2013. They they didn't do anything. Um, this was kind of actually just a test by the attacker, so it wasn't an elaborate or anything. It was just kind of them poking at it to see if they could get access. But um, this is called the Bowman Dam. Uh, it controls storm surges in the area. It's a SCADA system was connected to the internet via modem for some reason. I could tell you that it's common out of band practice for um, management of out of band uh, modem access, modem access to routers and switches mm. um, for remote sites and stuff. Although there's usually some kind of security attached to that. 
uh, thankfully, the SCADA system was actually, it was in maintenance during the attack. So they only had access to status monitoring. Um, they, weren't, they weren't able to do any controls or anything like that. And there's, uh, there's a very specific like SCADA-focused malware called Havex, um, which has been used uh, a few times. In 2014, uh, the German government released a report outlining an attack on a German steel mill. At first, they gained access to the business network of the steel plant, afterwards uh, working their way into the production network. Yeah, well, this is another time that we've we've heard it, you know, business network to production network. Mm -hmm. In fact, the major incident that I worked on, that was absolutely um, one of the major findings that we had was that there were no controls between the production network and the corporate network. Oh, really? Yeah, it was... I mean, you know what, what I'm talking about, but I'm, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's a little too identifying if you, if you have the right information. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, that was one of the significant findings was not just that, but also that the production network had access to the internet, Jeez. which allowed for command and control from inside the, the, the production network. And yeah. it, like, these are reasonable controls to think about when you're thinking right. about security architecture. Yeah. It'll a lot of it gets like muddled too, because like you do run into issues where like yeah, like someone on the business network wants access to like a system, and they're like, well, I don't want to jump through like a jump server and do all these like hoops and stuff like that. Just give me access. And sometimes you try to fight it, but management will like you know toss their weight around, and they're like, no, give them access to it. And now you've opened a hole. One of the quotes from Dan Kaminsky was, "The closer you are to security policy, the less you actually have to conform to it." <laughs> For the, the German steel mill, um, they, they caused numerous failures in individual control systems, uh, preventing a blast furnace from shutting down in a controlled manner, which caused major damage to the plant. Well, that's pretty fucking frightening. Yeah, 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 it is. Um, they, they were also the very sophisticated, the attackers. Um, not only did they know about these SCADA systems and how they operated, but they also knew about the steel production process. So very targeted attack, um, and they knew what they were doing. Black Energy, it's another piece of malware that's specific for SCADA systems. Um, it targets things uh, like uh, HMI master systems. In 2015, the Ukraine power grid was attacked and electricity cut to a quarter million people. Oh, yeah. I knew about this one. This was on the list of things that I kind of wanted to do a whole thing on in the future. Oh, we definitely should, yeah. But, yeah, the, the attacker shut off uh, power at 30 substations um, using Black Energy. In 2016, an undisclosed water company uh, was attacked. Uh, the company was given the name uh, Kamuri, that's how you say it, uh, to protect its identity. The attackers accessed the water district's valve and flow application that manipulates PLCs that control the water treatment and chemical processing. They, they then altered the number of chemicals entering the water supply, uh, affecting water treatment and production and just causing the water supply recovery time to increase by a ton. Yeah, I remember that 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 uh, it got caught by other by other systems downstream, but it was really frightening because you've affected water purification. Yeah, yeah, that, that's almost like some Batman uh, where the the scarecrow is pouring all the chemicals in the water type situation. That's not like a Batman plot. That's been a Batman <laughs> plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was also the second attack on the Ukraine power grid because why stop with one? Uh, that was just after a. a one year after the first attack, uh, Kiev went dark again. Uh, the attackers caused uh, monitoring stations to abruptly go blind and breakers to trip at 30 substations. And then we have crash override. 
which is malware specifically uh, designed to attack electric grids. Uh, modules in the malware are meant to open circuit breakers on the RTUs. So yeah, it, it's meant to open circuit breakers on the RTUs and force them into an infinite loop to keep the uh, breakers open, even if grip operators try to close them, uh, forcing operators to switch to manual operations in order to restart power. And you know, there's there's a ton more. Um, these were just some of the few that I, I picked out, but systems systems are. Uh, very vulnerable, especially like some of the SCADA systems as more and more of them come online. And you have to question like, you know, why like a lot of these things are connecting to the internet. A lot of the SCADA type stuff is being replaced by functions that are internet of things. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, the internet of things stuff want access to central cloud management. So you can't take it off the internet. Um, but a lot of, there have been a lot of problems with Internet of Things devices that don't take any security precautions and you end up with the exact same problem in a situation where you cannot restrict access sufficiently or easily. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we should do like an episode on IoT stuff. Oh, oh it's on the future episodes list. We just, <laughs> I mean, I know that, we, that, that we're not trying to do all of the fundamentals all at once, but I do want to get through a lot of the, uh, the, the protocol fun fundamentals and, and uh, malware type fundamentals right. before we before we go go all the way into some of this really specific stuff because iot has it's an easily deep rabbit hole mm -hmm. yeah 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 i don't know it's fascinating reading a lot of like just different like different ways vendors like did not foresee they're like oh why would i not have like just a, a web server running on http and like that's fully accessible, accessible by everything and just use admin admin as the default login. And also I won't tell the, yeah. the, the people that purchased it that this, this is running at all. There's a lot going on. In fact, um, the point of some of the IoT stuff is that it's very quick to develop, but you get a lot of folks that don't have very much experience and they take kind of the least, the least resistance route. Mm -hmm. And if the person that made the base operating system you're running with doesn't, didn't put the security in and you're just starting out and you don't understand how to secure it yourself, you know, perfect storm. You've ended up with a system that, that is insecure basically by design without even making any major pro major issues with, uh, with the way that you've designed the API and, and uh, how the uh, communication between devices works. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's freaking. Yeah. But yeah, that's all I have so far for the, the colonial pipeline. We'll see. I'm very, I'm very curious, like how, it got hit. I imagine there's some truth to the whole clicking, clicking on the email to, you know, try to access the boobies and uh, yeah. getting owned. It's a very common vector. Mm -hmm. I mean, the two most common vectors are drive-by website. So questionable websites, mistyped um, domains, stuff like that, or, um, or through phishing and spear phishing. Those are the most common vectors, at least in my experience for, uh, for, getting this kind of malware into the system. And once you're there, the toolkits are, are, are pretty well explored at this point. You can't assume that anything that makes it in, in an uncontrolled fashion will have a limited impact. You just can't make that assumption anymore. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, uh, just a little tidbit thing that one of the admins that I work with found. Uh, did you know there's, um, on like in uh, Google Chrome on Mac OS, um, there's like a hidden passphrase. There's a secret passphrase built into the error pages for certs where you can click anywhere and type, this is unsafe and like accept that cert. 
No, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, That's yeah. That's really yeah. scary. Well, not really scary, but it's that, really. Yeah, if, if you get that, like that net, uh, you know, er underscore sort invalid in Chrome. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can use just just type this fast phrase in the in the page and be like, yeah, no. I One of the places I, I that I worked did a lot of SSL interception, and you see that a fair bit if you don't take the effort to remediate it mm -hmm. and uh, getting people to click through those things or ignore and, or otherwise ignore them is a major problem. Oh yeah, we, we have fully trained our users to basically just click um, advance and whatever, because a lot of our, a lot of like NASA signed by NOCA and NOCA is not a trusted uh, browser uh, CA. So a lot of the systems don't have NOCA as their CA and all the websites come up and they're just like you sure like you, you want to trust this place yeah i i had a big argument with with uh one of the network engineers who didn't want to have to do any of the chasing down of all of the individual tickets so he was like no we're just telling people to click through and i'm like you're training users to do the wrong thing exactly like <laughs> it's supposed to be a warning like for users to be like wait a second and now they're just like whatever yeah well i mean man, we're probably meandering a little bit at the end here yeah, but yeah. there's a guy peter gutman who's a doctor of computer science i believe in at the university of Auckland, or at least last i checked and he's done a lot of stuff in crypto but one of his presentations was about you know users and their interacting with security messages and how you have to give people only events that they have to pay attention to because mm -hmm. if you give them events every time somebody tries to open an executable they're going to stop paying attention to those warnings. Yeah, no, no one reads those warnings. I have had so many issues where a warning popped up from Windows Firewall and they were trying to run their own software and they clicked the deny and then they're like, hey, why is my software not running? And I was like, because you said you didn't want it to run. Like, uh, So actually the example from that talk that was brilliant was that he showed a couple of different error message examples from, from the NAC system from, I think, windows vista mm -hmm. and uh which was new at the time and he was like how many of you noticed that they're different colors <laughs> they're different colors for different kinds of errors and not even that room full of at least computer security enthusiasts yeah. had noticed that like not even the security folks had realized that so yeah I, i've never noticed that that's very i'm gonna have to go yeah. back and look at it so i mean people just say okay on those NAC messages mm. unless they come up infrequently enough for them to for somebody to actually call it. And even in that case, you can see from statistics of various kinds of things how many people actually call in. If your organization does spam tests, sure, you want to see how many people click through. But um, an also interesting number is how many people didn't click through and actually like reported it. Yeah. Yeah, flagged it as as phishing or called the uh the security hotline or or uh sent it to the mail abuse mailbox or whatever you call whatever it is in your organization because yeah. the ratio of those folks is also instructive if that's one in 20 you know that if you get a report of a thing it may only be five percent of that scope it may be less exactly the, have you ever seen the, the 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 anxiety warning that it just says warning and it's a blank it's a blank message there's no message and it just says yes no and just like oh shit what do I do? Honestly, for users, that's what some of these warning messages look like. <laughs> Actually, I'm sure that there's something else on that sign. A fnord. <laughs> Hello.
this thing on? Yeah, I can't stay long. This is Hackalope from the future. And the past and the future. It's really confusing. This is why I'm not a Time Lord. just want to tell you some of the things that we've learned since the Colonial Pipeline attack happened. The uh, culprit was Darkseid. Uh, and they had a ransomware affiliate, basically somebody that went and did the infections and Darkseid supplied the infrastructure and the ransomware. They got their part of their infrastructure seized. All of their blackmail, victim-shaming stuff, and their payment servers were seized uh, by law enforcement. Some of the money was recouped, and uh, Darkseid, as a group, essentially closed down. Some researchers believe... 471, I believe, was was one of them, think that Darkseid has a strong affiliation with the R-Evil group, and that a lot of folks that formed Darkseid came from R-Evil, but that's speculation with a modest amount of confidence. But we do know that the R-Evil group commented about the uh, Darkseid infrastructure going away, and how they are uh, pulling back from attacking things that are going to get as much public impact as this, things that are related to healthcare and education and government. Apparently, the environment's just a little too hot for them. I think the coils are running down, and I think I, I have to go now. Thanks. Recording notes can be found at www.hackingthegibson.online. Follow Hack the Gibbs 1 on Twitter to get notified of new recordings. Support the continued observation of Hacking the Gibson on Patreon. We should have some kind of horns or something because you you said one of the secret words, which is one of the character names of Hackers the Movie, Crash Override. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll do that in post-production. Yes.